Joey, stop trying to make dad joke dad joke happen. It's never going to happen. Preferably. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, brought to you by the best deck building site on the web for the commander format, EDH Rec. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined today by my lovely co-hosts. First up, the speedster whose article series takes you from 60 to 100, it's Matt Morgan. You should never challenge death to a pillow fight unless you're ready to deal with the repercussions. That was (laughs) terrible, Matt. Every week I swear that I'm not going to be impressed by your dad jokes, but uh, you, you always manage to outdo yourself. It's very impressive. You're welcome. I, I'm just here for the people. It's a skill. You should put that on your resume. Next, the man whose articles remind you to look in the margins, Dana Roach. Joey, do you know what my favorite card in the format is? I would love to know. What is it? Paradox and Jin. Oh. That was, I think, Dana, I think your dad jokes need work. You should see Matt for some tips. I, I, I can hook you up. <laughs> And I'm Joey Schultz, author of the Commander Showdown series. All these articles and more can be found at edhrec.com, along with some awesome featured community content, such as other Commander podcasts and gameplay videos. EDHREC itself is a fantastic deck-building resource that compiles data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new Commander decks. And here on the podcast, we're going to give all that data a little more context. What's our topic this week, fellas? The new changes to the uh, banned and unbanned list in Commander. Tiny leaders, right? Tiny leaders. Joust. The changes to the joust <laughs> format. Oh, joust format. That's right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, we um, are, you know, our show comes out Friday. The announcement was on Monday. People are already perfectly familiar. But, yes, changes have happened today, the day that we're recording for the banned and restricted list for the EDH format. And so, yeah, it's prudent to talk about it, talk about our reactions to it and all that jazz, what we see going on in the format as a result and just sort of what it might mean, I guess. You guys ready? Yeah, I'm ready for all that jazz. Well, that's great. But, you know, before we actually do get into it, I just want to take a quick moment to talk about maybe some fun games or things that we've played, cards that we've gotten, because, you know, EDH is really, really flourishing, and all of the craziness that's happening with banned and restricted, you know, announcements recently has gone all types of crazy, and I just want to keep us grounded. So, I want to ask you guys if you've played any fun games recently, picked up any new cards from all the amazing new sets, what's going on in your EDH life? I actually have been pretty active. So, first off, uh, one of our, our former guests, Mr. Cameron, uh, from our CDH crowd, he told us about Narset's Reversal. I took his advice. I put it in a deck. I Narset's Reversaled a t- uh, Time Spiral, and oh, Oof. buddy, oh, buddy, <laughs> that felt good. Oh, buddy. That does sound pretty uh, pretty darn baller. Yeah, and, and of course, he couldn't do anything else because he was just sitting there like, well, I just spent all my mana trying to do something, and now I don't get to do anything because I needed those lands. So it was, it was great. Um, but I also traded for a bunch of cards. I Yeah, I actually traded cards, which nobody does anymore. But uh, fellow, <laughs> fellow EDH rec writer, <laughs> no, uh, Elijah Klein, friend of the podcast, he and I traded some cards. He needed to finish off his uh, modern scape shift deck. So I traded him the land base. Got a bunch of cards. I got, um, here we go, burgeoning. Got a peer, got a toothy. Got a Trostani discordant uh, for Miri, of course. Anointed Procession and a Spell Swindle. Those go really well together, by the way. That's for my my, my uh, new Kaikar tokens deck. Then I got a Search for Iskanta and Nasty Narset, because Niv is nasty with Narset. New one on both. <laughs> I'm trying to alliterate here, but... 
I, I, I get what you're trying okay, to do. Good, I'm going to let you keep going until you completely stumble and fall. It's it's really fun to watch you crash and burn. Uh, that is really great, though, Matt. I'm glad that you have new cards because you are famously slow at uh, adding new things to your decks I and making tweaks and tunes. Terribly slow, so you guys should be very proud. There are eight cards going in decks, uh, and I'm, I'm very excited for them. I've been waiting to find a Peer and Tooth. I didn't ever want to buy one. So when I saw Elijah had a couple, I was like, hey, just give me one of each, please. Thank you. Let's Let's do this. Super love it. Dana, anything from you? I know that you've been traveling a lot recently. I have been traveling, but one thing I did wind up doing starting uh, on Sunday here was I, I decided to re-sleeve all my decks before Vegas because I probably haven't done it in two years and a couple of them are a little bit, get a little warped and, and a little bit worn. So I've begun that process. And of course, the first deck I re-sleeved as I'm going through it, I'm like, you know, I, I there's some cards I was sure are in here that I that I can't find. So I, I of course then decided to lay the whole deck out and, and verify with my list. And it turns out there's like three cards missing from my deck that should be in it. Um, two of them weren't a big deal. One one was a Factor of Fiction. One was a um, Mirror Retriever. But the third one, unfortunately, is a Metal Worker. So, oh, no. so now I need to try to figure out which Gonti player I've played with in the last month may have walked off with three, three of my cards because <laughs> I'm fairly certain that's what happened. Um, so I, I, oh, I've been no. like mentally like, okay, what Gonti players do I know? And I like reach, I've been reaching out to them one by one, like, hey, can you check your Gonti deck and see if you've shuffled in a metal worker and a factor of fiction? Oh man, that's a. That, I, I'm sorry to laugh at your misery, but that is actually really funny. Well, and then I'm like, well, and I'm, I guess now the plan is going to be when I resleeve the rest of the decks, I'm just going to have to go through all of them that same way to make sure that there isn't, you know, a couple more cards that have walked off out of any other decks. So. Or, hey, I have to ask you guys this. Have you ever, like, you know, d- gone, uh, laid out a deck, maybe you're resleeving it, maybe you're just retooling it? Not Matt, probably, because he apparently never does that. But have you ever laid the deck out and then you find out that you're actually playing, like, 102 cards by accident? Oh, all the time. That's why um, I, I stopped I would, updating my my decks. <laughs> my my Jeru deck, when I first built it, I probably ran, for, like, six or eight months, I had two copies of uh, Pearl Medallion in the deck. And I just like never saw both of them simultaneously, so I'd never. And, and actually, it was somebody borrowed it from me at one point in time. They're like, "Why are there two pearl medallions in here?" And I'm like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> so I probably played that for for several months with um, two with 101 cards in it at least. Dana, you fiend. That's <laughs> awful. I, 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 I talk a big game. I can't, like, I, whenever I get, like, a new thing of Dragon Shield sleeves or something, they always have a couple of extra in there. Right. And I forget that it's not just the solid 100, that there are a few extra in case a sleeve breaks. Um, so I just fill them all up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, if I'm building a deck for someone, which happens pretty decently for me, it's just like, oh, yeah, here it is. And so I give them that, and then they count it out. It was like, Joey, why did you build me a 106-card deck? Don't think that that's allowed. <laughs> that's, um, that's pretty bad. But... Just on the topics of games and cards, I had probably one of my favorite days ever playing Magic just yesterday. Um, I went to a pre-release for Core 2020, and guys, I love that set. I've played pre-releases and other events for Core sets before, and I was always kind of like, eh, you know, give or take. This one felt amazing, but that's probably because of my sealed pool. Gonna level with you. I basically opened an Omnath Commander deck in my sealed pool. I had the Omnath Locus of Royal, the new teamer guy. I had a ton of elementals, a Cavalier of Thorns, Flood of Tears, Shifting Ceratops, Drawn from Dreams, the Thunderkin Awakener, which brings your elementals back from the graveyard. It was just an absolute... I, I went undefeated, and I don't think that my skill level had anything to do with it because it was just such an absolutely busted sealed pool. I could play all of my rares. It was 
bonkers. Probably one of my favorite plays was using Omnath's landfall ability to put extra plus one counters on my Thunderkin Awakener so that then when my Omnath died, Thunderkin Awakener could attack and bring back the Omnath and ping my enemy for each of the elementals that I controlled. That's... And my second favorite play on a very stalled out board, it was a super crazy, crazy board. I played a Flood of Tears to bounce everything. Since I had a bunch of permanents, Flood of Tears let me play a, a free creature, so I put my Shifting Ceratops back into play, used its ability to give it haste, and then used the Uncaged Fury to also give it plus one and double strike, and just spacked my opponent for 12 to finish out the game. There were there was a point where I had drawn so many cards that I could not cast Cavalier of Thorns because it would deck me out. I couldn't even play the Drawn from Dreams because I only had two cards left in my deck. Like, it was absolutely stupid. I nearly always drew all of my... <laughs> all of my cards in that sealed pool and that's not even it like that was really great but then i went back home and played modern horizons with a bunch of my friends and we opened so many amazing cards including an urza i actually played against someone who got out the first sliver in a modern horizons draft and <sighs> he went first sliver cascaded into something and then played a changeling which is a sliver and then another changeling which is a sliver and then an actual sliver and then another changeling i still managed to win that game and i'm honestly not even sure how it was just one of the absolute craziest days of playing magic that i'd ever had and i was just so so excited to finally play with these new sets because as much as we've talked about them on on the show previously this was one of the first chances that i really got to actually dig my like sink my teeth into them they are so so much fun i love the new cards that we've been getting joey we may make a competitive player out of you yet <laughs> so okay so here's here's one last thing that I'll, one other amazing crazy story <laughs> that i'll leave you off with uh the new lotus field the hexproof land that you have, uh, have to sacrifice lands and then um it taps for three of any color sort of a callback to lotus veil um i immediately slotted that into my wind grace deck when we opened one it was really really great um and then that came up in a game its hexproofness became very relevant because there was a lot of like things turning into lands and lands turning into things in that game i had lord wind grace up to like 28 loyalty counters that I kept proliferating, but he was turned into a land by like a song of the dryads or something, which was really, really upsetting. So I couldn't use any of those, even though I kept proliferating counters. But even better yet was the Lotus Field. I turned it into a man land. I actually animated it with a Nissa ability and then used a Keswick Wolfron to pump it because it was technically my only hexproof creature that no one could remove. Like it was absolutely crazy making. The new cards from the new sets have been so breathtaking for me. I am absolutely in love with the new cards that we've been getting. And I just, I was so excited. I could not wait to share stories because it was so much fun. I had absolutely way too much fun. Having, having hexproof man land sounds pretty impressive. So I, I can support all of those things you just said. <laughs> it was, it was a crazy, crazy day, which then sort of segued into today when we got a pretty crazy, crazy announcement right off the bat this morning, I woke up to abandon restricted change. So, how about we actually talk about that now, rather than just me talking about some amazing games that I happen to play. Let's talk about some amazing changes in the format. Yeah, let's do it. So, I mean, what are the changes? I'm going to give this one to you guys because I feel like I talked a little <laughs> bit too much just now. Well, we had two bans, um, and this is really the first format changes in terms of cards being legal and or illegal in, I think, two years. Uh, mm -hmm. Since 2017, when we got back... Uh, Hulk, and we lost Matt's good buddy, Leovold. Lost my buddy, Leovold, yep. <laughs> um, so they unbanned Painter Servant and banned Iona, Shoot of Amiria, and Paradox Engine. 
All right, let's take these just sort of, just I think like one at a time. Let's read the band cards first. So Iona, Shield of Emeria. This was a nine mana angel, seven, seven, cost six, white, white, white. It is also legendary, so it could technically be a commander, but it was not frequently played as such. It is an angel with flying, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a color, and your opponents cannot cast spells of the chosen color. Then there's also Paradox Engine, a legendary artifact for five mana that says whenever you cast a spell, you untap all non-land permanents you control. These two cards have gotten the banhammer. Yeah, they're both very, very good. They're both very non-interactive cards that kind of... Well, Iona stops people from playing, obviously, spells of a certain color. In Paradox Engine, uh, rarely does somebody play that without either taking a terribly long turn and then proceeding to either win or not win. So both of them were, were not of the interactive type of gameplay that the, the rules committee is kind of trying to tilt the format towards. Right. And they brought out all of the, you know, the explanations and even a new updated policy document that we'll probably get to later on in the show, um, but sort of explaining why these changes were made. And Matt, you're hitting on a, a super key point there. Interactivity is a really big piece of why these particular cards were chosen. Yeah, I mean, and Sheldon has never been shy about telling people he wants the format to shy away from tournament gameplay. It's not supposed to be competitive. There's not supposed to be sideboards, anything like that. It's supposed to be express yourself, have fun, interact with your friends, not just on you know a, a personal level, but throughout the game as well. And neither of those two cards necessarily encourage any of those things. Yeah. Okay. Like, so like the on that front, for, you for, sort of agree. Yeah, like to look at Iona, for example, I mean, like, I, I would say, just generally speaking, Archangel Avacyn is a better card. Or excuse me, Avacyn, Angel of Hope, the original Avacyn, making all your stuff indestructible. Um, that's a more powerful card. You can cheat it into play the same as you can with Iona. The difference would be Avacyn just makes the person who plays it really, really powerful. Iona prevents somebody else from doing anything. And that seems to be what they're mostly looking at right now is the is not so much the power of these things, not that Iona isn't strong, but whether or not they create an unfun game experience for people you, that you're playing with. And I think, I mean, Iona does. That's It can create a miserable game for, for one person especially. It's not like it, it like locks the board out. It might just lock one person out and leave them sitting there for 20 minutes. Right, especially anyone who's playing a monocolor yeah. deck. I, I would say most of the time, like, you know, if Iona comes in and locks down black and I'm playing black-green, I'll probably have something in green that maybe I could deal with it. You know, so sometimes there are ways around it, but it is also still kind of one of those things where you're not necessarily... What, what is the way that they phrased it in the announcement? That there's not a lot of uh, fun upside or something to that effect? Like, when you're doing that, there is sort of only the one thing that you do, and it does feel a little bad. Um, so am I to take it that you guys are basically on board with these particular shifts? Um, I, I don't know if Iona necessarily needed a banning, but I think it's a consistent ban with what they have kind of stated the philosophy to be. So I get it in that regard. Uh, Birdox Engine, I, I'm on board with completely. <laughs> yeah, I think that we've probably even mentioned that in the past. Paradox Engine is, you know, Paradox Engine. Um, Iona, I guess, I, both actually Iona and Paradox Engine about to me, though, as though I'm, it just sort of feels like a, huh, why now kind of uh, thing in my head. Um, when, for example, my friends this morning were talking about it when we were reading over the announcement and the explanations for the changes and things like that, um, we, we happened to tell a friend who hadn't read the announcement and they were kind of like, huh, okay, but... Nothing on, like, Cyclonic Rift? 
or then we told another person they were just like oh okay but what about anything else was there anything else in there and it just sort of felt like there was this expectation that there would be something else i guess the main theme that i've seen is that these are not the things that people expected people were expecting something much more along the lines of a card is too powerful rather than these other explanations these other justifications that they've gone for with you know the the point of the format or the philosophy of the format people were sort of anticipating a ban to be made based on power level and you know the ubiquity of the card but that is definitely not apparently the the, the case that they've gone with here yeah and, and they talk about it a little bit in the philosophy document that they updated and, and released to everybody too that it's not so much power level they're trying to govern they think that should be mostly a, a discussion and that your playgroup has but it's mostly how are people interacting with each other with the format? And I think one of the arguments, uh, you know, I've kind of been processing this all day is Iona just outright says opponents can't cast spells. Granted, it's of a certain color. You have to do it. But I mean, you're in white, so there's not like there are ways that you can flicker it, reset Iona, etc. Whereas Cyclonic Rift that you mentioned, yes, it's a very powerful card, but it doesn't necessarily stop you from playing. You ha- Sure, you, mm. you do have to reset. You have to reestablish your board state. Um, but it doesn't prevent you from doing that. It just is kind of a hard reset for everybody but the winning player. And oftentimes, you know, as long as somebody's using it offensively, they might win the game after they cast Rift anyways. So it's not like you're stopping somebody from playing and then dragging the game out. Whereas Iona, very, very different. Iona just, like I said, it, it stops people from casting spells of a certain color. It's It's dramatically reducing how much people are getting to play the format. And I think especially based off what the the philosophy document says is it, they don't want that to be happening anymore. They want to kind of consolidate everything, have everything fall in line with their goals for the format. And so I think Iona is more of a thing where maybe it it's not the most timely of bands, but it's something that now that they are putting their foot down, so to speak, of we want things to be interactive, so we're cleaning everything up, we're making sure that the ban list reflects that, this might be that first step towards that. And I think that's kind of... To me, I think that makes the most sense as to the the win. Yeah, I, I think the um, that you kind of hit hit the nail on the head there, Matt, with that with them like taking the first step, and that kind of I think answers Joey's question about why now. I would guess this is kind of the first real cycle where they've had the the uh, keg as as somebody who's mm-hmm. giving them input. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if one of the things the keg hasn't brought up is some of the weird inconsistencies. You know, okay, you guys say you want to ban for miserable game experiences. Well, then why is Iona unbanned? Or why is Paradox Engine, which can, you know, lead to that dirtily 15-minute turn where no one actually finishes anything, um, why is that legal as well? So, like, I wonder if that isn't what it is, if that's if that's not the why now, because now is when the keg has maybe brought up some, some inconsistencies that the actual rules committee just kind of had mentally glossed over. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a very good point that you brought up the the commander advisory group with people like uh, Rachel Agnes, Josh Lee Kwai, uh, Shivambat, uh, a bunch of you know people that aren't necessarily on the rules committee, but they're kind of coming in to help give some feedback, give some direction to the rules committee, and kind of have that uh, back and forth exchange. I think that's a really good point that it's, it's, the it's first new, time, pers- new perspectives that, yeah, they, exactly. that they're getting right now. Yeah, yeah, new perspectives is an almond cut enchant. Stop! Oh, Joey. <laughs> We were having such so, a good conversation, too. You just had to ruin it. Well, so I, I don't know, just like scrutinizing things a little bit more. I mean, I've learned in this game that one of the most powerful words in magic is the word can't. Like, that's why Hexproof is so powerful. That's why Iona is really, really good. And again, I, these are not like necessarily cards that were 
seeing like an absolute ton of play. Like Matt, what are the numbers on Iona? It's only showing up in like four thousand, three thousand decks or something. Uh, Forty-four hundred decks. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Iona, it's a, yeah. Iona. That's not even a whole lot. No, it's it's not a great deal. Like it's more than a few mentionable cards. But I mean, there's only like you said, there's only forty commander decks with Iona at the helm. She's not the greatest out of the command zone. But when you're able to do things like cheat her in, reanimate her, Kalia, anything like that, that's when you're skipping those mana costs, and and that's when Iona gets very very powerful because a turn three Iona. That's before most players have had a chance to set up. Yeah, and and I guess also like Iona just sort of like begs the question for me, like, oh, so interactivity is something that's you know really important here. And I guess this is just something like sort of me. I'm processing my thoughts out loud. Sorry that everyone has to hear me uh, think my way through everything. Um, but you know, if we are encouraging interactivity, it does feel like there are a bunch of other types of cards that also discourage interactivity. I'm speaking specifically of like mass land destruction or uh, stasis effects, things that keep things tapped, winter orb, that kind of deal, or Armageddon and friends. Um, so I have to imagine that a piece of the ban list also comes down to just the ubiquity or the density, I suppose I should say, the density of effects that are available. Like Iona is unique in that regard, but Armageddon, there are too many to actually ban something if that is ever something that they wanted to stop. Or stasis effects, there's just too many. You'd swell the ban list way too much if you were to go for things that prevent people from playing the game on that front as well. Whereas Iona, who is more unique, is a little easier to actually point at in that specific way. Um, I, I don't know. It's just sort of a thing that comes to mind, especially when I look at, for example, the saltiest cards in EDH that we measured a couple of episodes back. Um, a lot of stasis and mass land destruction effects get people a little bit saltier than you know Iona or than Paradox Engine did. Um, and, and that's just something that is kind of interesting when you compare the cards that did receive bans versus the cards that are, as of this point, not. And uniqueness has to play into that somehow. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, you if you ban Armageddon, you'd have to ban Yokel Hops and, you know, Obliterate and all sorts of different cards like that. So that, that is a good point that these are some of the more unique effects of that. Um, and Sheldon has gone on record several times and said he doesn't want the ban list to get too big. So um, right. that is that's a very, very good point. And, and also, like, just because these cards aren't, you know, in the top, one, two, and three on the salty scale, they're still in the top 20 out of, you know, 22,000 mm. cards. Like, they're still, that's still pretty, pretty elite company in terms of being annoying. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really great point. So actually looking at specifically the salt scores that we were able to get when people voted on cards that, you know, they do or do not like, that they uh, feel as though they have a salt reaction to. Paradox Engine shows up as number 16 on that list with a salt score of 2.63 out of 4. And Iona shows up at number 5 on that list with a score of 2.94 out of 4. So, you know, they're, they're actually right. Like, these aren't necessarily the number one saltiest cards, but, I mean, you're right. Esteemed company, for sure. And, like, if you're a CEDH player... Paradox Engine probably isn't an annoyance because you just win the game with it. I think the problem right. <laughs> with Paradox Engine probably tended to be really casual games where you get the person taking that 20-minute turn that doesn't know how to win with it. So I think, unfortunately, maybe CEDH kind of paid the price for some casual players who were bad at using Paradox Engine. <laughs> I mean, that, that, using Paradox yeah, Engine I, is still a really good use of Paradox right. Engine, but, though. Like, it's I, just a very good card. It is, right. But I think that's the thing, too. Like, that's it's similar to how Iona can lock somebody down and have them, you know, stuck sitting there doing nothing for 20 minutes. I've seen on more than one occasion that 20 minute Paradox Engine turn that doesn't win the game. So I think that's the problem there. I think they're both, they're, it's not that they're both, they're both strong cards, but they're both also strong cards that can lead to really unpleasant gameplay particularly in the average player's hands. Mm, gotcha. 
Well, we talked a whole lot about the cards that received the ban hammer, but the ban hammer was actually taken off of another card. The ban on screwdriver on painter servant, you mean? <laughs> I guess I do. That's so, a ban on screwdriver. That's a cool phrase for it. I, I love it. I, I didn't think it was that good, but I'm glad you did. Um, so painter <laughs> servant is a artifact creature. It is a scarecrow for two mana. It's a one three. Uh, as painter servant comes into play, choose a color. Also reads, all cards that aren't in play, spells and permanents are the chosen color in addition to their other colors. So it's a weird color messing with type card that has some weird interactions. But as they point out in the announcement, it has a lot of really cool deck building challenges, if you will, that people can play around with. Right. This feels like one of those cards that people actually could play fairly, as opposed to something like Paradox Engine, where the value that you're going to get is just ah, so ridiculous. Painter Servant can open up a couple of really interesting doors that previously they wanted to keep closed, but that now we get the chance to see. Are you guys excited about this? Are you dreading this? Does this feel like something that they, they shouldn't have touched this Pandora's box? What's your take? Um, I think it's fine. I, I don't disagree with it. I, I, I've played against it in Legacy many times, and there's an obvious two-card combo with Grindstone uh, where basically you pay two mana and tap it. You mill somebody for two cards. If they share a color, you do it again. And since Painter Servant makes everything that isn't in play and in play the same color, you get to do it again. Basically, you, you pay two mana to mill somebody out. Uh, that that's obviously going to be you know square one where everybody starts, but there's some really fun stuff that you can do. I mean, you can name, make everything blue, for example, and then hydro or pyroblast and red elemental blast everybody's permanence. There's some mm. different stuff that you can do, and there there are some fun interactions. I don't think it's going to be nearly as problematic as Iona, for example. Well, in particular with Iona gone. Yes, um, exactly. Now, I know that that's not the reason they unbanned Painter Servant, but Sheldon did say it was something that didn't hurt Painter Servant's cause once they decided to ban Iona. Yeah, he, um, he said that they were evaluated separately. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but I, he did I know mean, that, I know... that it didn't hurt Painter Servant's cause, too. So um, they were evaluated yeah. separately, but it was also something they were kind of thinking about. I don't know. I feel like there's probably not a world where like Iona is going to get banned without Painter Servant coming off or Painter Servant getting unbanned that isn't going to lead to Iona getting the hammer. I feel like that is kind of a, a causal relationship, but I will take him at his word. It just does sort of feel like, oh, yeah, yeah. it does feel like they're really connected I, to I, me. I think the but... sequence of that might have been they, they decided on the bannings and then they turned their eyes to, well, what can we unban if this is yes. what's going to happen? And I think I think they decided to unban Painter Servant after they decided they were going to ban Iona. I, I agree completely. That's the totally the vibe I get as well. So what do you guys think about, I mean, the Grindstone, for example, that combo was always one of the things that really felt to me like people were trying to avoid. But the more that I think about it, it doesn't feel any more dangerous than like a regular Machaeus and Triskelion combo, which not only outright wins the game, it takes down everyone as opposed to Grindstone, which can just take out one person at a time, for example. Well, I mean, um, it, it's a worse combo than that, I would argue, just because McCase is a good card, and Triskillion or or what's the other one that you combo with it? Um, I think Lista. you can do a tricky thing with I, I think there's Lista, Lista yeah. too. Those are good cards on their own. Like, Painter Servant is not a good card in the vast majority of decks. Grindstone is not a good card in the vast majority of decks. So if you want to <laughs> no. run Painter Servant and Grindstone both of which aren't good cards, and hope that you have them both out simultaneously so you can kill one person, uh, go right ahead and do that. There's, there's, there's a bunch of like existing two-card, bad-card combos that can kill a person that aren't worth running, and if you want to do that with these two, that's certainly not unbalanced to me, I don't think. 
Yeah, and and we're talking I think about that's fair, yeah. and we're talking about artifacts too that are they're very right. easy to interact. If they if they're enchantments, it's a little bit harder to do. Um, but both of them, I mean, neither of them are hex proof that you you have to protect them actively. But I mean, say if you have a painter servant on board and somebody goes to cast grindstone or grindstone, you have a chance to react to that and you can naturalize it for all we care. Um, there's a lot that you can do to get rid of artifacts in play. So I I don't think that it's going to be terribly problematic. Um, obviously I, th- I think people will play it. It'll get some people every now and then, but it's not going to be the most difficult thing to interact with either. I, I think what yeah. will happen is we'll see a ton of painter servants showing up in decks in the next like month to two months, and then it'll slowly fade out. It, it reminds me a little bit of solemnity when that first came out, there's a bunch of interactions with that mm-hmm. too. And people were all like, yeah. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And when's the last time you saw anyone do anything with solemnity? Yeah. And and that's another thing. Like, Painter Servant doesn't strike me as doing anything that, for example, Mycosynth Lattice wasn't already kind of doing, too. Mycosynth Lattice turning everything into a colorless artifact. Well, there's a lot of ways to abuse that, too. For example, with Karn, who says that artifacts can't use their abilities. Or, you know, doing a Mycosynth Lattice and then Vandal Blast so you destroy all permanents your opponents control. And that's also pretty awesome. But it's, you know, a whole lot of stuff. And Dana, you're super right to point out that the cards are not necessarily powerful on their own. For example, like Paradox Engine can be. Like, people are already playing plenty of mana rocks right especially heck if you're in the new urza <laughs> i mean urza could be very one, well one of the reasons why paradox engine finally got the ban hammer now yeah the, <laughs> I, of how crazy those interactions are i 100 agree with that i think urza was kind of that well now we don't have any reason not to get rid of it <laughs> right so all right if we are looking at painter server then are there any fun interactions that you guys think will be cropping up with that when people do start trying it out are there any places that you personally would be excited to try out painter servant now that it's been taken off of the ban list i mean besides the obvious grindstone interaction i actually think momir vig kind of gets a little fun uh momir vig's uh, simic visionary so it's it's three uh green blue for a 2-2 legendary elf wizard uh, and basically, whenever you cast a green spell, you can put a creature card on top of your library. And whenever you cast a blue creature spell, you reveal a top card. And if it's a creature, you put it in your hand. So what you can do is it's kind of what um, Cameron talked about when he came on the podcast is uh, you use Painter Servant to make everything blue, for example. But you cast a bunch of elf creatures, which are all green. So you cast them because they're green. You put them on top of the library. But because Painter Servant made them all blue then you get to draw them. So basically you get to tutor up everything whenever you cast a creature spell. Uh, I think that's very powerful. Mm-hmm. It's easy to interact with. I mean, you can kill Momir Vig. He's a five mana creature. Uh, and then you have to have more mana to, to proceed with. But I think that'd be something that I think a lot of people will start looking for because it just enables that to go. And, and Momir Vig isn't especially oppressive by any means. You still have to have a, a great deal of mana to really combo off. Um, but I do think it's something that, that kind of gets a little more powerful, a little more interesting. Gotcha. I think for me, the commander that I anticipate definitely getting the most play with Painter Servant is going to be Eight and a Half Tails. And there mm. aren't a lot of Eight and a Half Tails decks, probably only around 200 or so. But in terms of percentage, I do think that a whole lot of decks that run Eight and a Half Tails are going to be very excited for Painter Servant. Eight and a Half Tails is a two mana, two, two Fox Cleric that can give target permanent you control protection from white until end of turn, and which can turn a spell or permanent white until end of turn for one mana, which is really fun for, to be able to use. But it's nice to have a Painter Servant in there that just blanket turns everything white so that it's much more cost effective for you to give yourself protection from literally everything i think that that's a natural fit for it where painter servant is going to be a very naturally good card without any other combos in the 99 necessary yeah and there's a handful of of these commanders out there where like i think you can just kind of slot in painter servant in your deck 
without really making any changes, particularly if the commander cares. There's uh, Luan, Cephalid Empress, who, when she comes into play, returns all blue creatures your opponents control to their hands, and your opponents can't play blue creature spells. Well, you just, you know, play it and name blue. And there's like 30 decks out there right now, so I would, you know, almost guarantee every single one of those 30 decks on EDH Rec (laughs) jams in Painter Servant. Um, and they're right. still going to be not a good deck, but like they'll they'll put that in there. Um, there's Tesa Orzov Scion, who cares about black and white creatures, and it, it lets you sacrifice a creature to make a creature, and, and it, so you kind of get a loop going there with Tesa. Darkest Hour kind of does that, but this gives you one more way to do the same thing. Mm, right. Or there's the uh, the dragons from, it's either Invasion or Planar Chaos, or possibly both, where when they hit people, you can choose a color, and then they get benefits for every permanent or every creature or something of that color. Rith the Awakener, for example, uh, gives you saplings for each green creature on the battlefield, or each permanent of that color, something to that effect. Uh, Krosis the Purger, when it hits someone, you can pay mana and have everyone discard uh the cards in their hand that are of a certain color, well, Painter Servant will paint them all that color too. So there are a couple of other dragons that might take advantage of it there as well. Seems like there's probably quite a number of things that will benefit pretty nicely from having it in there, but yeah. I don't feel as though those interactions are super broken. Yeah, well, and, I know. And the interesting, the interesting thing too about it is, is Painter Servant makes permanence, so it gives lands a color as well. So stuff with, like like oh. you said, Rith making tokens, I mean, it's kind of an Avenger, Avenger of Zendikar type of make that many tokens, which is kind of cool. <laughs> Well, in similar to Eight and a Half Tales, there's, you know, another half a dozen commanders that have protection from a color. There's two different acromas, a white one and a red one. They both have two different protections. Well, Painter Servant just gives gives your commander protection from everything. You know, Animar is vulnerable still to a couple colors. He is pro-white and pro-black. Well, he, now you just give Animar protection from all the things out there. Oh, that's cool. I actually really yeah. like that. <laughs> now, and there's, there's, there's some that, like, no one's going to start playing Aishan's Shade or Spirit of the Night or Tividar of Thorn. Um, <laughs> you never but, know. You never there, know, but, but there's a few of those decks. There's 34 Aishan's Shade decks in, in EDH Rec. There's 14 Tividar of Thorns. So if you're that, those 14 people, you're like, oh, I'll put Painter Servant in there. So all the stuff has pro-red <laughs> for my commander. If, if you're, if you're yeah. those 40 Iona players, you could just right. yeah. everybody pick one of those and double the number. <laughs> right. Oh, now, Matt, you put down a couple of specific tutors here in our show notes that I also think are really cool. Well, actually, that was Dana, so credit where credit's oh, due. Matt, um, but I do, Matt, I do. never mind. You contribute nothing meaningful to <laughs> the podcast. I did the show Dana, notes. You put... I did the show notes. Thank you very much. I usurped yes. Joey. So, Dana, you put down I some did. cool color-specific tutors in the show There's notes. There's a handful <laughs> of green ones that let you just go get a green creature. Green Sun Zenith, Natural Order, Summoner's Pact, Woodland Bellower specifically. Those were the four I found. There might be one or two more that I missed. Um, you know, this lets you work around that too. If you're playing a multicolor deck and you'd like to have the option to use your green sun zenith to get something else, Painter Servant opens up that as an option. See, I don't know why you would okay, want to yeah. do green sun zenith when you can just finale of devastation, which is so right. much better. That's, that is that's true. <laughs> oh. Why not both, Matt? That is true. That is true. And there's a few other wonky things too, like you know, Grand Arbiter or something. If you happen to be playing a Grand Arbiter deck and you're you know you're skewing one color and you want to like stack the the reduction um, as much as mm. possible, you can play something like that. Or Angus Crow gives white creatures, you know, I think plus two plus O, and red creatures plus O plus two. It lets you kind of stack that buff as well. So there's a few different weird things like that and commanders that might be worth doing. 
It's really, sorry, I have to, because I'm very personally attached to the, the Ravnica novels. It's Agruskos, not Angus Crow. Okay, all um, right, all right. But but that was really fun. Usually I'm the one who mispronounces stuff, so I just have to give you <laughs> give you a little bit of crap there, because that was really, really fun. Um, but yeah, like, I, here, here's, here's the thing. All of these things that we just named, those actually sound like really fun interactions to me. They don't sound like things like, I'm worried about this. When Protean Hulk came off the ban list, I'll admit, I was a little bit like, uh-oh. Is the, is our things going to be okay? And largely, I'd say that in casual circles, they've been totally fine. Like I don't I don't think that that's been a really big thing. So that you know is I guess I'm just perfectly fine with what happened after Protean Hulk. But I did have some nervousness as opposed to now Painter Servant. I'm not nervous, which maybe means that I'm just bad at card evaluation, or that it turns out this time there are darker tidings to come. I'm not sure, but it is interesting to gauge my own reaction to Painter Servant unbanning compared to the last unbanning that we received. What have your guys' reactions been? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. Like, there's busted stuff that you can do with um, with Protean Hulk that, by and large, in you know non CEDH commander, I just don't see get done that frequently. Um, so I think it's been a relatively safe unban. There's just at this point in the game, really, I don't think that much busted stuff you can do with Painter Servant. So if you extrapolate that out, there's going to be even less of it done, presumably. I, I think it's a pretty safe unban. Yeah, I agree. I, right. I, I, at first, I kind of raised a side eye towards it, but the more that I've thought about it, and especially talking with you guys about it, you, you talked me off the ledge, and I think it'll actually be, it'll be interesting. I don't know that I have any decks that I'm going to put it in, but I, if I saw it at a table, I'd be like, okay, let's see what you're doing with it. Let's see what you can come up with. Yeah, that isn't grindstone. <laughs> you just want to see something something a little bit new rather than the stuff well, you're already familiar yeah, with well, in Legacy, I guess? Now that, now that we're seeing everything that, that we can be doing, I want to see people push those limits and see what they can come up with. I mean, I, I'm, I know I'm not the most creative person when it comes to my deck building synergies, but I do like seeing what other people come up with and what other people get excited about. So I think it will be good long term. I think that people... Um, if you're worried about it being, oh, this is the end of the world. Um, I mean, everybody also thought the same thing about Protean Hulk. And, and like we said, it, it didn't end up being nearly as impactful in more casual circles as we originally thought it would. And I think that will probably be the same case with uh, with Painter Servant. I mean, if, if you're going to run 10 tutors to go get the, you know, half of the Painter Servant grindstone combo, then you were going to run 10 tutors to go get your Paradox Engine combo or 10 tutors to go get Iona and reanimate her or something. Like, it, it's not anything that wasn't already doable by the two banned cards. I think it's even less likely than those two things. So, yeah, it's, it's just, I think, not going to be an issue. Okay. All right. That's a, a refreshing thing to hear for sure. Uh, so I kind of want to move the discussion now onto the updated uh, commander philosophy document, the uh, the ideas that they put forth as an explanation of here are the goals that we have for the format. They updated a couple of things here to better explain you know, the direction behind some of these particular changes and what we can expect going forward, things like that. Are there specific points that you guys have on the philosophy document as well about where maybe you would want Commander to be if you disagree with anything, if there's a point that you think is particularly relevant to the discussion. I just want to open up the floor to that because that is also an update today, and I think it's really, really worthwhile for people to read it and sort of see where all of this is coming from, see the logic behind it, pull back the curtain a little bit. Where are you guys at with the philosophy of the format? Um, the first, basically the first bullet point in their list is one that kind of spoke to me to a degree. It says, Commander is fun. It's a socially interactive multiplayer magic format full of wild interactions and epic plays, specifically designed as an alternative to tournament magic. 
Each game is a journey the players share, relying on a social contract, where each player is considerate of the experience of everyone involved. This promotes interaction, intergame variants, and a variety of play styles, and a positive communal atmosphere. And at the end of a game, someone will have won, but all participants should have had the opportunity to express themselves through their deck building and gameplay. I mean, if they asked me to write that f- a first bullet point blind, I would have probably not been as eloquent, but I would have written something very similar. <laughs> like that, that's, that's why I play Commander to a T. I want to be able to express something through the deck I build. I'm considerate about the experience of people I'm playing with. I want it to be interactive, and I want everyone to walk away from the game we just played having felt like they saw or did something interesting or cool, even if they didn't win. So, th- so oh, that, that, that whole thing in the beginning right there, I just think is great. I mean, yeah, that also feels that resonates very deeply with me on a deep personal level. Like, I cannot help but agree what I want. And Dana, you've probably even said this on either this podcast or your other podcast or even just on Twitter. Or I don't know, maybe you just say it too much and it's eventually <laughs> sticking in my craw now. Uh, but, like, you don't want to win a non-game. It's sort of like seeing an opponent mulligan down to four cards. Like, that's not fun. You want your opponent to play their best, and then for you to play their best, and then for you to still end up winning. Yes, right. And and that's basically what this boils down to, just in a multiplayer sense. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I I think that 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 statement, or that part of the statement, I should say, uh, that is very indicative, just having played games with you, Dana, and just doing the podcast with you, that that makes a lot of sense because you are Mr. Theme, as far as I can tell, when it comes yeah. to podcasts. I mean, you have your your Glissa the Trader, Death Touch Tripal. You have your All Artifacts Vela deck. You have a, a big commitment to having, you know, that expression through your deck building. So it that does make a lot of sense. And, and I think that represents just you as a player and a deck builder very well. Well, and here's something else. You mentioned Dana is Mr. Theme. Dana, you impose your own self-restriction sometimes. Sure. You have a Sigarda deck that cannot contain artifacts, even Soul Ring. You've got a Glissa deck that must only contain creatures with Death Touch. Like, there are a bunch of rules that we can impose, and that's another thing that is in this philosophy document is that if there are changes you would like to make, for example, let's say you want a wishboard, you're welcome to talk that over with your playgroup and see where they're at with it and go ahead and do it. When we were in Kansas City, we played against someone who had the Urza Headmaster Planeswalker thing as a commander and it was hilarious like those variations are welcome you just have to chat about it and make sure everyone's good with it and these are i don't know what's the pirates of the caribbean phrase guidelines but you have heard <laughs> like, of me they just <laughs> right yeah exactly they, they serve as a basis for people to be able to facilitate games within you know completely strange play groups and that's really important for sure but there are also there's a degree of variation that's also very very important so that you can achieve that first bullet point making sure that the game is a journey together the point of the policy is to like have less non-games that's not what anyone wants that's why we changed the mulligan rule recently like we want games yeah definitely so how about you guys did anything anything jump out here for any either of you two uh, well for me the the very last point uh kind of resonates and there's a little bit that we touched on just now but um so the last point i'll just read it uh says commanders designed to be a malleable format we encourage groups to use rules and the ban list as a baseline to optimize their own experience this is not a license for an individual to force their vision onto a play group but encourage for players to discuss their goals and how the rules might be adjusted to suit those goals the format can be broken we believe games are more fun if you don't so kind of like what we talked about with the, the Urza Headmaster with the, the floating head of a Planeswalker deck. When we sat down in Kansas City, you know, that 
I believe I forget her name. I'm sorry, but she said, "Hey guys, I I have this deck. Is it okay if I use this? This is what I'm doing with it." And she communicated very well. She's up front. She said, you know, I play this with my play group. I want to play with you guys because it's it's a silly deck. But it was that that baseline experience that we had a discussion about and and found a way to suit everybody's goal. Just communicating and, and finding a way to to make sure. I, I know a lot of people in reactions to the ban list or to the ban announcement today was, well, this isn't a problem in our playgroup, which is fine. You know, if, if your playgroup can handle that, then please keep doing that because that's that's great. That's what is working for your playgroup. But if you guys go to a, a GP, if you go to somewhere where you don't know what to expect, that the rules committee and Sheldon, they want to give everybody that that baseline experience and you can make exceptions from there. And I think that's one thing that I, I really like about it is the format means so many different things to so many different people. And and so finding a way just to manage expectations at a, at a, at a square one level and then we can develop it further from there. I think that's a very, very good thing to point out to the player base at large. Yeah, it's a recipe and you season to taste as it were. That, that, that's a good way to embellish it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a terrible cook, so maybe that's not the metaphor so that I, I should be going away with it, because if I were to cook, then I would burn everything to the ground. But <laughs> uh, for the sake of metaphor, I think maybe it works. I, I, I do really like that. I think that it absolutely works. There are things that you can change, and if you don't like tutors in your playgroup or if you want to set restrictions you know, the way that Dana does, then I think that that's something that you can have a conversation about. Maybe not everyone's on board. One of the key points in the thing that you just read, Matt, in the philosophy document is that this isn't a way for people to enforce their specific thing. Right onto a playgroup, and that's that's really important. This is they don't want it to be what is the phrase license for an individual to force their vision onto a playgroup, but it opens a door. The, they're they're trying to say that this is not a hard and fast rule. Let's let let's be nice about this, and as Matt is so keenly pointing out, talking about it is the way that you're going to accomplish that. Yeah, and I think another thing too, and and just for me personally, is that very last line of the format can be broken, but we believe the games are more fun if you don't. That doesn't mean you shouldn't play combos, you shouldn't min-max or, or try to break the format, but it's just having different experiences and saying, you know what, if, if you dial it back a little bit, the games might be a little more fun. We know what we're talking about because, you know, I think the average time playing Magic on the Rules Committee is like 15 plus years. So these people have been doing the game, they're playing Magic for a long, long time. They're very invested in it. So I think giving their preferences just at least a little bit of credence isn't bad and I mean, I know personally, I, I build like a Timmy, but I play like a Spike. You know, when I'm in game, hmm. I do concentrate a little bit more. I do try to win. That doesn't mean I'm very good at it, but I, I do <laughs> <laughs> I do try to, you know, I, I try to win in gameplay with the, the tools I have put in the deck. Now, that doesn't mean that every green deck's going to have Rishkar's expertise and every blue deck's going to have some bad draw spell you guys make fun of me about. But it that just means that I'm getting to do my thing. I'm getting to express myself like Dana does with cards that I enjoy playing. Maybe they're not broken. I might put a combo or two in there. But when I am actually playing the game, I am trying to win. I am trying to play the best that I can. I think something that's also going to hit on for me, that line, format can be broken, we believe games are more fun if you don't. I've always said it like three or four times now, but like a way that this expresses itself for me, when I first started playing the format, I was like, oh man, I'm going to run these worldly tutors, and I need a vampiric tutor, and I have to have all of these, because then my deck will be more efficient, because it's such a high-variance format, and I have to make sure that my deck runs, because with 100 cards, who knows what could happen. And the longer that I've been playing, the more and more I've been taking tutors out of my deck, because Mm -hmm. I'm just not really having them. And when I think back to, I heard that the rules committee players themselves don't like tutors very much, well, I'm kind of like, oh, 
yeah, that's probably one of those things that they learned about given enough time that it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, <laughs> they, they were they were kind of at that thing, that place where I am now. And again, this isn't me saying that tutors are bad. Tutors are obviously really, really good and they can get you out of really sticky situations and you're not a bad person if you play them just because I think that maybe I will use less tutors. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But it is just a thing that in my personal journey, I've realized that I'm having a little less fun with. Finale of Devastation, I want that plus 10 more than I want the creature sometimes. Like, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and I mean, and, and I know this is personal experience, but the most fun I've had with the format was my, my play group and my, my, some of my best friends, we had an arms race. Our decks kept getting better and better and more powerful and more powerful. And we said, hey, there's, a, there's four pre-cons coming out next year. There's four of us that play the most. Let's buy those pre-cons and then we'll, we'll slowly add a card after every game or two cards, however. And so we kind of hit a reset button and having that, we called it our pre-con league. Having that was one of the most fun things ever because everybody was on an equal playing field. It wasn't who can buy the most powerful card next. It was... Oh, we have these precons, and so we're going to incrementally get them better and better. Not to be crazy powerful, but just to let's let's not do anything stupid powerful. Let's just play and have fun and, and get a little more casual again. And that was one of the best and most fun experiences I've had playing Magic and, and playing Commander was playing with precons that we slowly upgraded. So here's a point that stuck out to me in the philosophy document, uh, kind of a little bit rambling, hopefully. I don't do talk, uh, talk too much about it, but there's a section here about how no single rule can establish criteria for a ban, and there are many mitigating or exacerbating factors. Um, and the list is not exhaustive, it's not a checklist, but it represents ways in which cards challenge positive experiences that players look for in commander games. And this is the one that sticks out to me. The list includes cards which easily or excessively cause other players to feel that they must play certain cards even though they are also problematic. When it comes to looking at the format and cards that you think are fun or aren't fan, I mean, that this really, really sticks out to me because I don't ever want to feel like I'm being forced to play something. If someone has a deck and the cards therein are so warping, like, you know, I'll use Leovold as an example. I know that you love him, Matt, but when that was around, it felt to me like I had to play, I had to shift the cards in my deck a little bit too much to be able to preemptively deal with that when I knew I was going into a game with it. But it also speaks to me on a level of, you know, I don't want cards to be so good that they are to the point of ubiquity and that's probably why cyclonic rift has been on people's lips so often this week because it feels like a card that is so ubiquitous that it kind of forces everyone to play it even if they consider it maybe problematic or maybe less fun or less interactive or something to that effect like yeah and those are two axes that sort of feel summed up to me in that particular sentence there and i just feel like that's a really interesting point of discussion too yeah i mean that's a good point on rift like the thing about rift is it's in any deck, it's not just like a mono blue deck or two color. Like if you're playing a five color deck, Rift is just as easy to cast for the most part as it is in a in a mono blue deck. <laughs> if you're playing blue power level wise, you're probably wrong to not run Rift. And I get why that's an issue. Yeah, yeah I don't like that feeling. Yeah. The there's no reason not to is like it. it what, what is it that you guys have said? Like you you like expressing yourself in in this game. That's come up several times on this show and. Man, that's something that I like doing too, but I don't feel as though I get necessarily an opportunity to express myself when I feel obligated to play certain cards, whether it is because I feel as though they're too good not to play, or it's because there's something that someone else is doing that I have to respond to and I have to change what I'm doing in order to, to, to be able to handle. And to be clear, 
Like, there are plenty of reasons that you should change your deck around to handle what other people are doing. Dana, you preach about playing graveyard hate because it's bonkers. Like, you should be prepared for right. that kind of thing. But that's just because of how popular that type of strategy is and how powerful you know it can be. Like, you should have something in there to, you know, help mix up the game when you run into really powerful strategies and really ubiquitous ones at that. But it does feel different when it's, you know, for example, a Leovold type of thing that's going on. And, and yeah, that's just something that, that really... I don't know, I keep saying that it speaks to me, but you know what? It speaks to me. It does what it does, man. And I think it also it also kind of addresses the two bands we just got as well. <laughs> right, I mean, right. Like, people might feel to the effect that they have to do, like, all his dust or scour from existence kind of things to deal with an Iona. Like, yeah, I guess I can sort of see that. I mean, I, I specifically actually saw somebody tonight make the comment that they always hated having to find room for scour from existence in a mono deck just in case you saw Iona. Yeah, that does feel a little gross. I mean, I'm I'm also here, here's another thing that I guess I'll say. The, the the point that resonated with me, the one that I just read out, that also kind of strikes me as one of the reasons why I am. I guess if I'm leaving on last impressions, and that's something I'd like to get from you guys as well, is what your overall thoughts are about this particular thing. If you give it a thumbs up or a rating out of ten or something like that, my particular impression about the banned and restricted uh, announcement is surprise. Uh, these are not the cards that I would have expected. These are not the cards that I had my eye on. And from the discussions I've been having, it doesn't feel like these are the cards that a lot of other people had their eyes on either. And I think maybe that's caused people to become a little overjoyed or a little overzealous or a couple of things in between. Um, but just there was a lot of discussion about cards that were different, but they were they were cards that were ubiquitous or cards that were powerful, and these were chosen for a very distinct and different reason. And that doesn't mean that the reason's invalid, that just means that it's a different reason, and that's still an important reason to be looking at. Like, what the format is doing and how they're shaping it is still very important, even if it isn't just on the lens of power level, for example. Well, and I would wager this is probably the first wave of changes we see. Um, I don't think we'll go another two years before we see a ban or unban. I feel like this. Really? Yeah, I, 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 I just, I, I feel like they probably didn't want to hit us with too much right now, and there's still some discussion happening. I know they've mentioned that as well, but it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, in three months or six months, another one of those. We've decided to put this one card on and take this one card off. I, I think we're going to see a little more of that moving forward. Dang, I mean. I, I don't know whether that's the case. I feel like in the philosophy document, they actually said, like, look, we know that this is pretty big. We try to do it as sparingly as possible. So I, I'm surprised to hear your take, I guess. And, and maybe it'll be more things coming off and things going on. Like maybe, you know, they, they, they stacked the two bands right now with a plan to maybe ease a few other unbans out over the course of the next how, how long of time. I don't know. But I, I just think we'll see more changes coming up in the next year or so. It won't be a long gap again. Interesting. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, I, now that you're bringing that up, I don't know if, I don't think I agree. Matt, do you want to be a tiebreaker? Where are you at on, on, on that idea? Uh, I think that they might be a little more active just on the sole basis of the commander advisor group is now in existence. I think having just more points of view, more different play styles. Um, I know one of the, the, the criticisms of, the rules committee is that everybody thinks that it's a very insular play group. Well, that's, I don't, I don't think that's the case because Scott Larrabee works for wizards of the coast. So he's always playing with those types of people. He's a Clark. He's in Seattle, whereas Sheldon's in Florida. Um, it's, it's kind of hard to have an insular play group when you are literally as far away from each other as you could be on the continental <laughs> United States. Um, I, I, I don't think that it's just the play group issue though. I think just having different, like, like I've said, the, the format means something different to, 
dang near every player. And so yeah. I think just having more points of view on that, I mean, the, the format means something different to Scott Larrabee than it does Toby Elliott. Toby Elliott, and they're both on the rules committee, um, well, it, which means something different to Sheldon, to Josh Lee Kwai, et cetera. Well, and, and I'll quick throw this out there. The, the reason I think that is because if we're saying things like Iona and Paradox Engine are maybe being banned in an attempt to be consistent with the with the list, then I think it it, it stands to reason they will continue to do things to maintain that consistency. Yes. Like if, if six months from now they're like, mm-hmm. we unbanned Coalition Victory because it's just not a problem based on us, us looking at our list, I think that makes sense. That's what, I think that's the kind of thing we're going to see moving forward is a few more of those unbans to clean up some consistent things. Oh, man. You, you picked an interesting one because I know that Matt has been on the, oh, I don't think Coalition Victory needs to be banned train, but I don't know that that'll ever happen. It just feels like one of those cards that could, like, you know, oh, and now the game ends out of nowhere, and it doesn't feel like people had a chance. Like, <laughs> uh, that might be a point where Matt and I maybe just well, sure. I, I, I do think with the clarified philosophy document, too, that that might be a, a good way to um, mm. point out to why Coalition Victory stays banned. Because right. under, the, under the previous direction, I guess, that we were getting from the Rules Committee, that wasn't pointed out, but now it is. And so it would make a little more sense and, and it would be consistent with what they want, not because of power level, but because mm. they don't want people, maybe they don't like cards that say you win the game. And maybe we gradually shift towards that using coalition victory as a starting point, then it would make a lot of sense. And then I would under, for me, I would understand a little bit more as to why it stays banned. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to get some perspective behind the curtain, I think. Like, I find this very useful, and I really encourage everyone to go and give it a read if they haven't yeah. yet, because it gives a lot of context to, you know, the, the actual decisions themselves. When you see just the, the tip of the iceberg, there's a whole lot of context right. that you're missing. And I, I think that text is nothing without context. I think that it's important to see what's going on behind the scenes there, for sure. Yeah, I, I really, really like how... In the past, I would say probably two years or so, do you guys think that Sheldon has made kind of a concerted effort to get rid of the impression that the the Rules Committee is some shadowy cabal that just kind of makes decisions (laughs) all willy-nilly? Like, they're trying to be very upfront. They're trying to be very clear about, you know, this is what to expect. This is, I mean, just their, their communication has gone through the roof as far as just how well they're doing it, how often they're doing it. So I, I do think that that kind of effort should reassure players that if there's a decision that's going to be made, they're going to do their best to make sure we understand what's going on. Not Maybe not, not like you said, exactly the, behind the, the curtain, but you know. Yeah, and like you said, these guys have been playing Magic for a really long time. So, like, there's there's a good sense of trust there. But, yeah, like, even the formation of the Commander Advisory Group, like, that is a good point towards you know, making sure that everything is as clear as possible and the communication is flowing a little bit better. It's almost like they have, you know, started moving towards hiring a PR team or something like that. Like it just, that those are good motions and people should be reassured by that. And uh, I guess just looking at today's announcement, you know, it's a, definitely a shift, but I don't know that it's a radical one necessarily. Like, I don't know that this is going to affect me in any of my playgroups. Is it going to affect you guys? I highly um, doubt it. Yeah, it won't affect me really very much. I, I, I am running none of the cards and don't think I'm going to add Painter Servant. So I think I, it's not going to affect the, the place I play for the most part, no. Yeah. 
I mean, that obviously that's going to be different for every different person, but it, given the popularity of the cards or how high up they were on the salt score, just like, I don't know, just looking at some of the data that we saw for the cards that received the bans, I guess I'm not personally worried. Some of the combos, the different interactions, the synergies that we talked about for Painter Servant, I'm excited more than I thought I would be. So like, you know, that's also just kind of a heartening thing to see. Anyway, I will stop rambling about that. I will let you guys give any final impressions that you have about the banned and restricted changes today. It's not the end of the world, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm. You know that I kind of agree. I think that the rules committee does a pretty good job with something that's really, really challenging, and I think today is an example of that. So, so right. what we're what we're saying is REM lied to you guys. It's not the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> but I do feel wow. fine. <laughs> I do feel fine. Wow. Okay, let's, before you guys Leonard start Bernstein. making weird jokes about Leonard 80s Bernstein. or 70s bands, <laughs> <laughs> let's move on to our final segment now. You guys are crazy. Let's move on to our final segment, Challenging the Stats. There are a lot of stats on this website, EDA Trek, and sometimes we disagree with, you know, how popular cards are. Maybe they deserve to see more play than they get. Maybe they deserve to see less play than they get. So let's challenge those statistics now. Matt? You want to take it first? Well, I think my card is overplayed. It is Paradox Engine because it's not legal. <laughs> so take it out of your wow. decks. Um, but, but seriously, <laughs> uh, I have a card that is currently in 299 decks, and I was doing some digging for my Tasa Karlov deck. I searched Scryfall to find uh, the phrase return to, or target creature graveyard to play. That's what I entered in, and I found this nugget, and I really, really like it. It is Pulse Mage Advocate. It is two and a white for a 1-3 uh, creature cleric it has tap and reads return three target cards in an opponent's graveyard to his or her hand return target creature card from your graveyard to play now i know a lot of people don't like giving opponents cards but this is kind of a cool political card you know you can cut some deals and more importantly you are getting whatever creature you want in your graveyard straight to the battlefield reanimation supreme and it's in white that was one thing i thought was very very cool so if you are okay with kind of negotiating some deals and you don't you, you get to choose what cards go back to that person's hand, if you give them three lands, it's gonna take them three turns to get that value that you just gave them. That's more than enough time for you to get any sort of value out of what creature you are putting into play. Uh, I think if you build your deck right and you're playing some powerful creatures that you can get into the graveyard, this reanimation option is is super, super cool. I know a lot of uh Queen Marchesa decks that like to play the political end of everything, they'll probably really like this. So if you're looking for a reanimation option, especially if you're in mono white, um, I think you could definitely do worse. I 100% disagree with your challenge this week. What? <laughs> Pulse Mage Advocate is a creature that requires an entire turn around the table before its effect can be used, requires that an opponent have at least three cards in their graveyard to use, and it gets a creature back into play. You could do that with a spell. White has spells that get back creatures. You could do that with any of that. Ah, oh, man. As, as a necromancer myself, a person who reanimates basically for a living, this is not a card I will ever touch, and I don't think... No, uh-uh. I, mm -mm, I, dis I disagree, but Matt. I, I don't think it's okay, how, you're wrong. Think how good it is if you have a black vice out. <laughs> it's an because extra three damage. putting cards in their yeah. hand? Yeah. Oh, my Come goodness. On, so you're playing mono-white burn. Clearly not a combo player, Joey. 
I don't think that it is worth it for me to get one creature back into play to give someone else three cards. I don't care if I'm giving them three lands. I don't like the restriction. I don't like the timing restriction. I don't like giving other people card advantage. Matt, I super disagree with your challenge this week. It's okay that you're wrong. I don't like it either. I'm on board with you here, Joey. I agree. I'm not a fan. It's okay that you're both wrong. (laughs) I will Here, Matt, I will agree that the statistics are incorrect on this one, that this one is seeing play that it shouldn't see. You're saying that it's seeing too little play at 299 decks total. I'm saying that it sees too much play at 299 total. Arguing so that we're you're both wrong. challenging well, it. When I get my Iona into play with Pulse Mage Advocate, you guys will all be <laughs> weeping tears. Tears that you are playing a now banned card? That is correct. Dana, what's your challenge? All right. So let's see if Joey comes at me for this one. <laughs> so he is, uh, he is in a sassy mood, so watch out. So when we did our Modern Horizons uh, review, we talked about a really good board wipe, Dead of Winter. That's basically a slightly cheaper mutilate. It only costs three minutes out of four if you have all snow permanents in play. All, all non-snow creatures get minus X, minus X. They'll end a turn where X is the number of snow permanents you control. So basically if you're playing like mono black in particular and have all snow lands, it's a better mutilate. There's a similar card from way, way back in Ice Age called Withering Wisps that is to... Dead of Winter, uh, what Pestilence is to Mutilate. It's a three-mana enchantment that you can spend black mana to deal one damage to each creature and each player. The difference between it and Pestilence is the caveat is you can only spend amount of black mana equal to the number of snow permanents you control. So basically, if you're playing mono black and you're playing all snow lands, it's a Pestilence that costs one less for the most part. Um, and it's only in 74 decks versus almost 2,000 for Pestilence. I think if you're running Mono Black and you are running Pestilence and you're one of those people running Snow-Covered Swamps, um, it's, it's, it's either a second copy of Pestilence or probably a cheaper, easier-to-cast Pestilence. And it should be in more than 74 decks. I think Pestilence is a really, really good underplayed card, and it's r- exceptional in Mono Black Withering Wisps should be in more of those mono-black decks that are running all snow permanents. You know where I'd especially like this? If you are running those snow lands in a Vati Il Dal deck, the Golgari commander that yeah. can tap to turn something into a 1-1, a base power toughness 1-1, and then you've got another Pestilence effect that can deal one damage to things. Like, you've got a built-in kind of, you know, super kill things whenever you want. That could be a really fun interactions too. Pestilence isn't one that I see very often, but have you had a lot of really good experience with it? You said that you think that one's underplayed as I, well. I ran it when I was playing a mono black trainer deck. I ran it to great effect. So then I added Withering Wisp as a second way to run Pestilence. It had good luck there. But I'll say this, I, I've, I've not seen a ton of Pestilences in play, but whenever someone plays one, it's a problem that has to get dealt with. And not only that, but there's also all those enraged dinosaurs yeah. from Ixalan, and Pestilence is another great thing to use there. Then you've got the Withering Wisps that could do it too. Vig- okay. Vig- See, vigor Matt, if you're playing this is a, a, vigor, this is a challenge. A bigger type deck, it works nicely as well. I mean, I mean, if I'm in a pool with Joey, cool. you're talking about running Pestilence effects in black, which doesn't have great dinosaurs outside of the Elder Dino. So you're you're already running suboptimal colors, five color dinosaurs. No, I'm, I'm being Joey. Just throw a Polyraptor into right, a deck and go right. to town. That's what I'm saying. Oh, Joey, why don't you put it next to your Paradox Engine? Uh. <laughs> oh, man, we are getting... Maybe you and I are number one I and guess, two on the salt yeah. score on EDHREC. I, I, I have uh, been bathed in my, my salt water bath. I did a float tank and all that. So let's, just, oh let's hear what Joey's choice is so Matt can just go rapidly at I him just, now. So that way I can <laughs> pestilence it or 
enraged on. I don't know. Just go. So, so this one came to me from all of the changeling stuff that's happening in Modern Horizons. It was really cool, and it reminded me of a spell, Blades of Velus Vel, that was from the original Lorewind block. Two mana tribal instant that has changeling itself, and it says that up to two target creatures get plus two plus zero and gain all creature types until end of turn. I'm not saying that this is a spell that needs to be played in red decks generally. It does, however, need to see more play in the one very obscure commander that will make the best use of it. This commander only has like 63 decks to her name, but if you are going to be playing a Varchild Betrayer of Kjeldor deck, I do think that Blades of Velisvel deserves to see way more play than just the 17% of decks that are currently running it. As a reminder, Varchild, when she hits people, she makes red survivor tokens under their control. And then when she leaves the battlefield, you gain control of all survivors. When she leaves the battlefield, while that trigger is on the stack, you can use Blades of Velis Vel to target two of your opponent's creatures, give them changeling, gaining all creature types, including the creature type survivor, and then gain control of their creatures permanently. That sounds really awesome, and I can't believe that only 17% of decks are running the Blades of Velis Vel when you've got a Varchild deck. Like, I, I'm, I'm just stunned. That seems like one of the most fun interactions to me in that particular commander, and people should definitely play it a lot more if you are playing that one obscure commander. It sounds like a ton of fun to totally blow people out when they do not expect you to steal their creatures right out from under them. Well, and I would say also that there's, there's a couple of those oddball tribal changeling cards out there from, from back in that Warwind block that are good in those really narrow, specific decks that people probably should dig a little deeper for, and this is a really good example of one of them. Matt, I'm agnostic. Nay, (laughs) I mean, like like, like we said, it is is very narrow. Um, I think you'd have to run it by uh, Josh Swope, one of our listeners. He had the General Varchild deck with the uh, little plastic baby (laughs) tokens, and um, you'd have to run it by him to see if it's good or not. Because if he signs off on it, I will. So, Josh, let Joey know what you think, and I will back you up. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess I'll take that. Man, our relationship has changed today. I'm glad that it wasn't because you know you and I disagree about band list changes. It's about whether or not someone should play Pulse Mage Advocate that we really became divisive. Hey, it, 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 at least it's things that matter that are tearing us apart. Wow. Okay. Are there any final thoughts that you guys would like to share about the updates that we received to the format before we sign off? I think um, as long as the rules committee continues to help us understand what they're doing, I think it's going to be very hard to at least fault them for the effort they're going through and just how thoughtful and intentional they're being. Uh, other than that, I, I I may not agree, but like we've said a couple times today, they're doing a thankless job and they're doing it better than I could for sure. So I'm going to adhere to what they say. And if I don't like it, I'll keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think that I agree necessarily with the, the bands, but I am fine with them. This also, I mean, you would use the word agnostic. I'm, that's actually kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm excited about the prospects for Painter Servant. I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't think I would have banned uh, the cards that they chose to. But I'm also not upset about it because I think that they explain themselves very well. And that's the most important part to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think the added communication from them and the, and the clarity of the um, rules Thing that they, they put out today, the, the kind of statement about the vision for the format has done a lot of good. I really appreciate that. So I think it, it really sets a tone moving forward that I'm very happy with. Yeah. And with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. I'd like to thank my co-hosts so much for joining me. And if any of our listeners would like to get in touch with us, where can they find you all? Matt? You can find me at Pulse Mage Advocate Advocate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but really, at Mathemus55, M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. 
And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach, and you can hear me twice a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter. Sorry, Matt, that really broke me. You should use that for your dad joke intro next time. <laughs> anyway, special thanks to our editor for the show, Ken Peddle, also known as Kenish Norn. You can follow him on Twitter at Loader. That's L-O-A-D-3-R. You can follow EDHREC and the cast on Facebook and Twitter, and you can contact us at EDHRECcast at gmail.com. Plus, you can find us on iTunes. And if you do, please consider leaving us a review to help other folks find the podcast as well. This cast is posted every week on EDHREC's Community Content Spotlight section, where we feature as many other content creators as we can, from Command Zone to Commander's Brew to Commander Versus, not to mention new articles published every day by our own fantastic team of writers. We'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Hi, Kat. Welcome to EDH Petcast. This is Matt Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) We have two loud-ass cats, too. Somebody you have two cats? Uh, yeah, I I heard a. How many pets do you have? Every couple of episodes, we just find out that you have another pet. Like, <laughs> Wait, I, I, I didn't know you had a cat for a while. Then I didn't know you had a dog. <laughs> next, I, we're, I, gonna, we're, we're gonna learn that that Dana has a son, apparently. <laughs> we have a dog, um, two cats, and uh, the, mon- a the monkey. A weasel, a ferret. The monkey. Is it helper monkey? Eek eek! Can I have a banana?